We are very honored to have Dr. Terry and Renee Mize with us today. And uh, they're always such a blessing when they come. Um, and uh, we've, known, uh, we've known Terry longer than Renee. And uh, we've done overseas trips with Terry and, you know, and we have um, done some other things and conventions together. And he's always a blessing. And he's been here many times. And I know that you've received from him. And um, we are expecting during these meetings, because of the days that are ahead, God always shows us things to come, and he prepares us before those days come. And I believe that that's what these meetings are going to be about, preparation time, getting us ready, getting us into position to take hold up, to move in, and to do the things that God wants us to do. And it comes through revelation. It comes through impartation. It comes through the anointing of God. And we open our hearts to receive from him today. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. So uh, we know that God is good. He knows not only what we need, but he knows exactly what every individual needs. And he does come to meet your needs. You know, Jesus told the churches in Revelation, I walk among the church. You know, he's right there. He's walking among the church. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He knows what you need. And he wants to fill what you need. Amen? Because God is very interested in you. I realize that I'm God's very special. I'm God's very favorite. But so is Rob. You know, so is Barbara. So is everybody. You're his child. You are the apple of his eye. He's got one big eye, and you, you know, in his eyes, you know, he's got one big pupil, and you all fit in there. That when he looks at you, his eye twinkles because he loves you. Amen? Amen. Well, would you stand with me this morning and please welcome Dr. Terry Mize as he comes. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you. I'm the cook. Praise the Lord. Amen. Always hug the cook, right? I had, I had it on in the first place, and then I flipped it off. You know, I wear two or three of these things a week, and they, some of them have a little bit different idiosyncrasies or just, just idiots, one or the other. But anyway, I'm glad to be with you, and I'm glad we live in uh, what's left of America. Amen. It's not the America we grew up in, but I believe we can change it. I believe we can change it. I believe that uh, it's probably our fault it's the way it is because we were asleep. I've said to a lot of people, you know, cancel culture, this cancel culture wouldn't exist if the church hadn't got into uh, coward culture and hid in the foxhole. Amen. But I'm glad, I tell you what, this morning, tonight, tomorrow night, I'm expecting us to talk about some things that will 
that'll uh, just have the devil over in a corner gnawing on his tail trying to figure out what we're doing next. And uh, I'm excited about what God's doing. We still, we still win. Amen. Before you're seated, say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know his word is truth. Boy, that's comforting to me. His word is truth. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. Amen. Well, if you believe that, you can be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning. I tell you, Renee and I like church. We believe in church. Uh, we're for church. And uh, the church has the advantage. She doesn't seem to know it anymore, but she has the advantage how to live on planet Earth and win. And the world doesn't know that. And the more and more and more the world used to look to the church because they said, you know, they're making it in tough times. We're not making it in tough times. But some knothead in the church a few decades ago or 15, 20 years ago decided, well, maybe we ought to be a little bit nicer. Maybe we ought to act like the world and look like the world and smell like the world and do like the world. And so now you get a picture of a church inside and look at it and it's all dark and you know, and you, then you get a picture of a nightclub and look at it, and you say, well, I can't tell the difference. Which one's the church? Because more and more the church is trying to act like the world. And that's the last thing the world wants you to do. The world knows how to do the world. You can't outworld the world. You can't outsin the sinners. You're just a little boy of sin. You, know, you, don't, you don't know nothing. You, 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 you're not professionals like they are. You're just amateurs. And so why, why present to them something they've already got better? They're in trouble. I know why they have the lights out at the nightclub. I know why they have the lights out at the bar, because that woman they're with isn't their wife. I get that. But, you know, at church we ought to have the lights on. I go in church after church after church after church after church after church, and it's dark in there. there there's no place in the Bible that has, has any semblance of God and darkness anywhere. God's never dark. <laughs> Renee and I went into a church in Texas to preach here a while back. We took her 94-year-old mother with us, and, and uh, they sat Renee and I right here where, where Bob's sitting, and, and Renee was sitting there, and I was sitting on the end seat. And then the aisle, and I don't think it was quite as wide as this aisle, and then they put her 94-year-old mother right here on this seat, and, and I literally could not see her. It was so dark during praise and worship. And I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever been involved in in all my life. Dark in church? What about, what about elderly people that fall down and break their something and nobody would know it until they turn the lights back on? What about child trafficking, man? Church, dark churches would be an ideal place for child traffickers. Little kids get lost coming back from the bathroom trying to find their mom and dad. you got to be kidding me. There's no place in the Bible that links God to darkness. And every time I ask every pastor, I ask, what's wrong with you? Turn the lights on. Why do you have the lights off? You know what every pastor tells me, Bob? They always start off with the same phrase that King Saul started off with when Saul asked him why he didn't obey God. I mean, when Samuel asked King Saul. Did I say that backwards? Samuel came to King Saul and he said, 
Thus saith the Lord, you go over here to this town and you kill everything, you wipe it out, you kill every man, woman, boy, girl, dog, cat, mosquito, don't you bring one thing back from that place, you destroy it all. The king Saul said, yes, sir. And so he goes over there and wipes people out, but he, he brought back the pretty girls, <laughs> brought back the nice-looking guys, brought back some gold, some money, Brought back some cows and some sheep. And in walks the prophet of God. And he said, did you do what I told you to do? See, it's the prophet that's in charge. It's not the king. It's the church that's in charge. It's not the president. It's not Hollywood. It's not Washington, D.C. Never has been, never will be. Never should have been, but the church got scared and went to sleep. Now, I'm all for the church waking up. I'm not for the woke culture, but I am for the wake-up culture. <laughs> and this prophet of God said, did you do what I told you to do? And he said, yes, sir. Then why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep? What did you do? And Saul said the same thing every pastor tells me today. He said, the people. The people, but the people wanted to do it. But the people thought we should bring back some things and sacrifice to God. And pastors, they tell me, well, the people want the lights out. Well, the people say it makes them more intimate with God. Hogwash. Hogwash. My spiritual father, one of my spiritual fathers, John Osteen, used to always say, you don't ask the people what they want. He said, no preacher has any business being in business. And no sheep has any business trying to run the church. No businessman has any business trying to run the church. And we've just fouled that up so badly in this day and age. And just said, well, we'll just let the people run the church. Pastor, we just want, we just want four commandments, not ten. Don't preach on sin. Don't make me feel bad. Don't convict me. I want to live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep. We don't want to do 10% tithe. We just want to do 2%. When did we ever ask the sheep to run the sheepfold? Well, God, you're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything. How dumb of you to put shepherds in charge. How dumb of you, Lord. Don't you know the sheep know better how to run the sheepfold than the shepherd? I tell you, things have sure got fouled up, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, no joke. Renee says, it's like asking your kids what they want for dinner. I've preached that for decades in the pulpit. No mama, no mother of several children, and sometimes the husbands of children too, no, no, no mama ever goes and asks them what they want for dinner. Because if there's four kids and a husband, you'll get five answers. Well, I want hot dogs. Well, I want seafood. Well, I want tacos. Well, I want... No, mama's cooked the meal and say, supper's ready. Come and get it or I'm throwing it out. My friend Wayne Myers down in Mexico City, one of my spiritual fathers, and he'll be 100 years old next, uh, next month and, Renee, and still preaching. And Renee and I are going down there for his birthday party, of course. And he always says, um, 
A la mesa, a la misa, en este caso solo una visa. It says to, to mass, to Catholic mass, or to the table. There's only one announcement. We're not going to ask you two or three times. You know, if you want, you're hungry, come to, come to dinner. It's dinner time. Let's go. Amen. And uh, we, the church has fallen a long, long way. And it's time we get back where we belong. Because we can't help the world if we're trying to figure out how to be like them. Years and years ago, Bible schools started teaching in their missions classes, and I fought it, and I fought it, and I buked it, and I rebuked it over and over and in. They said, they said no, here's how to do missions. You do, you do friend evangelism. Say, so you do what? Well, you go in and see how they live and start living like them and become their friend. And then little by little, you can point them to Jesus. I said, well, you're just a moron. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, in fact, <laughs> John 4, 4, the, the, the Bible tells us anybody that's a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That's the same in every translation. That's the same in every translation. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. That, be, that should be pretty plain, right? I don't know any way to sugarcoat that. If you're a friend of the world, 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 you're an enemy of God. If, you know, God and the devil don't live in the same house. Faith and fear can't live in the same house. You know, lately, um, Renee and I have been, we've been on the road since June the 1st, and we've been to the West Coast, and, uh, and then from the Mexican border all the way to Portland, Oregon, and then over to Iowa, and then over to, Pencil to uh, Pennsylvania, to Philly, New Jersey, and then down to here. And uh, so we, we've been to lots of churches, lots of places, and we've been to numbers of camp meetings. Y'all ever been to a camp meeting? I mean, a real camp meeting, a real camp meeting, <laughs> or just some little church gathering. That, I mean, we, you know, real camp meeting. And uh, all my fathers had camp meetings. I, I grew up in camp meetings with my spiritual fathers. And uh, I grew up in great spiritual churches and great spiritual meetings and great spiritual awakenings and great spiritual happenings where, where God would show up. And where we'd have signs, and we'd have wonders, and we'd have miracles, and we'd have salvations, and we'd have, I mean, we, I mean, God would show, I mean, heaven had been low and kissed the earth, and we'd get caught right in the middle of the smack. And uh, over the years, people started having better ideas. And they said, let, maybe we ought to just let the sheep run the thing. Maybe we ought to take suggestions. Maybe we ought to have a suggestion box in church. Well, you got to be kidding me. i got a suggestion for you. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, so. I don't know how many of y'all get my, my, my letter. It was late this month because I've been on the road so much, but uh, it is out in the mail somewhere looking for you if you get it. Uh, but in my letter, I addressed this in my, in my partner letter uh, that, uh, that all throughout history, the church, everybody say the church. The church accommodated God. Right? The church accommodated the Holy Spirit. The church invited the Holy Spirit. 
The church said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. I've got a friend in the ministry. I used to be a friend. I don't know if we're friends anymore or not, because we sure don't believe alike anymore. Uh, but I've got a friend who's got a humongous church here in, here in America. Uh, he's got like a church of 20,000 people, you know, and the popular place to go and the, the, the place where the politicians go and the celebrities go. And, and, uh, and he used to be word of faith. That's just such a strange, that's just such a strange phrase to me. Because so many pastors, Bob, come to me and say, Brother you know, I used to be word of faith. And I say, what does that mean? Give me a definition of that. What, what, what do you mean you used to be? What does that mean? I'm, Brother I'm not word of faith anymore. You, 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 what does that mean? Does that mean you don't believe the Bible anymore? Because I've always said if you believe the Bible, you're word of faith. My favorite song all my life and still to this day is, is, is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen, that's how I know. Everything I know, I know because the Bible says it. Isn't that right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a word guy. You know, if you're a word guy, word woman, a word person, then you believe the word. You don't believe part of the word or a portion of the word or a favorite word. But you believe the Word of God, cover to cover. I even believe the cover because it says Holy Bible on it, right? Yeah. And, and then when people say to me, Brother I'm not Word of Faith anymore. I say, well, what does that mean? You don't, you don't believe you're healed anymore by the stripes of Jesus? You, you don't believe you're, you're prosperous anymore? You don't, you don't, you don't, what, what does that, what does that mean? I have no concept what it, what it would mean or how, how you could be in that state. No, it's like, what's, what's wrong with you? Are y'all here? But anyway, all these centuries and centuries and centuries, the church accommodated God, and the people came to hear from God and to spend time in the presence of God, and they honored the church, and they honored the pastor. They even honored the building, even knowing the building's not the church, but, but it's the, you know, there, there's a lot. People that don't, people always come and say, now, Brother Terry, the church is not the building it's the people I said well you don't know much about the Bible do you because I hate to show my ignorance of the word of God by making statements like that because I know there's a truth there obviously but but you need to go read some scriptures about the sanctuary you know I've dedicated a lot of churches in my days and Bob I've dedicated churches with the likes of Oral Roberts he and I've dedicated churches with the likes of Hilton Sutton, he and I have dedicated churches. With the likes of some other people you'd know, we've dedicated churches together. And every one of them, including me, all have an honor and a respect for the sanctuary. The people today would just call religious. Yeah, you're just religious. Well, see, I wouldn't wear a hat in the sanctuary. You know, I wouldn't do things in the sanctuary out of honor and respect for God. My first wife, Jackie, when we were engaged to be married, and I was a youth leader, and I had to run by the church one day and pick up some stuff. And, of course, I had a key to the church, so I ran in. And then I, and I ran in my office, and then I ran in the pastor's office. And, and then I thought, oh, I need to go down to the sanctuary and pick up some stuff. And so I, I went in the sanctuary. I hadn't even intended to go in there. I just, we just went in to pick up some stuff down by the altar, back when we had altars in churches. And I went in to pick up some stuff. And, and Jackie's walking beside me. Of course, we're engaged, and we're going to be married, and she's in love, and it's all wonderful. And, and, and about halfway down through the sanctuary, she just stopped me and grabbed me and turned and kissed me. And I, and I grabbed her and said, don't you ever do that in the sanctuary. 
you know, which she thought I was a religious nut. But I, there's a respect and an honor that you won't know anything about unless you go read the Bible about the sanctuary. You stand by night in the sanctuary. You, you clap your hands in the sanctuary. There, there's things you do in the sanctuary. You know, I don't know if that started breaking down years ago when we started doing multiple use auditoriums. Or we'd have a, we'd build a church that there was a basketball court, and we'd we'd have multiple functions. You know, and, and, and I know a lot of churches have coffee bars, and they they all sit around and drink coffee in the sanctuary. I don't I don't do that. There's a thing with me and God in the sanctuary that's just, just, I just treat it different than I'd treat it than I'd treat a movie theater. But anyway, these great fathers of mine, I know people fuss at me when I talk about the fathers in the faith. And I've had people tell me for decades, they said, Brother Terry, you're just name dropping. You get up in the pulpit and you talk about Oral Roberts and T.L. Osborne and John Osteen and Kenneth Hagin and, 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 and Lester Summerall and Hilton Sutton. And, and you talk about, you're just name dropping. I said, no, those guys were friends of mine. I didn't just hear a tape. I didn't just read a book. They were my friends. Many of them were in my home. I was in many of their homes. We had lots of meals together, lots of visits together, lots of phone calls together. They, they, Bob, they creased my life. You know how you take a, you know how you take a piece of clothing and put it on an ironing board and take a hot iron and you, and you crease it? You're in the military. You understand, crease. Man, those, you know, we had, man, yeah, they were creased, right? And those, those people, those fathers creased my life they put creases in me that are still there still there i'm still living on things that they told me when i was a teenager isn't that amazing i've got a, DVD, a, a, a cd back here on the table called god's good checker player i think i preached that here before and uh, where that came from that's just that the, and i tell people i said that one series that one cd if you wanted to go buy that one CD, I don't know what we sell it for, you know, four or five dollars or something, but, but it's worth a million dollars. No joke. Now, it is worth, we don't sell it for a million, but it's worth a million. Because it came from 1968 when I was 18 years old. And I was a youth leader at my church. And my pastor came to me and said, hey, Terry, said, I'm having John Osteen come in and preach for us next week. I said, well, that's great. Praise the Lord. That's so good. And then pastor said, he's going to be here three or four days. And uh, how would you like to just be his driver and his, you know, his, 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 we didn't hardly use the term armor bearer back then or ministry helps back then, although that's, we can't do it without the ministry helps. That's a fabulous thing that God thought up. But said, how would you just like to be his, you know, step and fetch it and, and, and you know, errand boy and, and, and just, just be, be on call, drive him around, take care of him. And I said to the pastor, I'd pay to do it. I'd pay for that. What I was thinking in my brain, Bob, was, what's wrong with you, pastor? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What in the world is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you do it? Here you could have him all to yourself. This general, this, this, this man of God, this, this father, and you're and you going to relegate it down to a teenager? I said, I'll be happy. I'll pay for it. Yes. And boy, I mean, I spent every bit of time I could with Brother Osteen, and I didn't talk to him. I didn't go, blah, blah, blah. I didn't talk unless he talked to me. I didn't talk unless he spoke to me. I, I left him alone. 
I drove him everywhere. We, we were living out in West Texas in Midland, and Odessa is 20 miles away, and then Big Spring is 40 miles the other direction. And so he had partners, Brother Osteen had partners in all three of those towns. And so one day he'd say, Terry, take me to Odessa. Yes, sir. And I'd drive him over there, and he'd give me some addresses, and I'd take him to see these different partners. And, and then one day he'd say, take me to Big Spring. Yes, sir. And, you know, and just, he'd just tell me where to take you. I just, I'm just his boy. I'm just his, you know, whatever he wants. And one day, driving over to Big Spring, which is 40 miles away, which gave me 40 minutes with him in the car, you know, and back. And, and I'm just driving, and he's sitting there, you know, and I'm not bothering him, I'm not talking, I'm just driving. And he said, uh, he said, Terry, and I said, yes, sir. He said, God is a good checker player. I said, yes, sir. I'm just waiting, driving. Miles are going by, minutes are passing, I'm, I'm waiting, waiting. I'm thinking he's going to say something. I'm thinking he's going to explain it. <laughs> and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, I said, sir. He said, yes. I said, may, may I ask you a question? He said, well, of course, yes. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean God's a good checker player? And he said, well, son, he said, if you're praying, if you're believing God, if you're fasting, if you're trying to get heaven to move and, and, and things to happen and you need something to happen, you got your faith locked in and, and, and yet nothing's happening, heaven's not moving, nothing's happening. He said, always remember God's a good checker player and he doesn't move out of turn. And he said, it may be your turn. If, God, if God's not moving, if heaven's not moving, if things aren't happening, he said, go back and check and see whose turn it is. You go back and find out the last thing God told you to do and see if you did it or not. Because he's not going to move if it's your turn. Bob, that was 1968. That was 54 years ago. I was 18 years old. I'm 72 now. I'm still using that. It saved my life time and again around the world. When something's not happening, I'm, man, I'm faithing it out and praying and confessing and declaring and doing everything I know to do. And, and all of a sudden, I just, and heaven's doing nothing. And I sometimes I'll just say, whoa, Lord, is it my move? <laughs> is it my, am, uh, are you waiting on me? I thought I was waiting on you. Are you waiting on me? You know, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses led them out of Egypt after 400 years in captivity. And all those 400 years plus hundreds of years before they got there in captivity, God had told them, hey, I'm going to give you the promised land. It's a great land. It's a wonderful land. It's a land that flows milk and honey. Told them that for hundreds and hundreds. Every little Hebrew kid knew the story. Every one of them, all those years in captivity and slavery, they knew it. We're coming out. God's taking us to the promised land. Isn't that right? And finally, Moses leads them out. God lets them walk across the Red Sea, the <laughs> Red sea on dry ground, kills Pharaoh's army behind them, gives them water. I mean, get, just does a miracle after. And it's not a very long trip. It, it, you could walk it yourself in two weeks. I mean, from Egypt to Israel, it's not that far. Church thinks it took them 40 years to get there. No, 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 it didn't take them 40 years to get there. They got there fairly rapidly. It's just that when they got there, there's the Jordan River. And God said, okay, all right, Moses, arise and go over this Jordan. They're just about to 
seal the deal, man. I mean, after all these hundreds of years, we're going into the promised land. And so Moses sends out 12 spies. It had been okay if he had sent out a recon. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, God even told him he could. You send a recon out. You send, you send a, a party out. And so they spot where this, these people live and where their campment is and, and, and where their town is and what's here and what's here and where are the rivers and where are the, you know, so you can go back in and then and whip them. But he didn't send a recon. He said, go spy out the land and see if it's a good land. Whoa. I can take you back to Genesis, to Exodus, Leviticus. I can take you all back in there those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And God said, the land I'm taking you to, it's a good land. And it flows with milk and honey. God had told them that for hundreds of years, Ned. And all of a sudden, Moses says, so go see if the land's any good or not. And God had told them for hundreds of years, I can take you back and show you through the Exodus, all through there. God said, uh, the bad guys are there. And he told them who they were. He said, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Anak, the sons of the giant. They're, they're all there. So when you get there, run them off. This wasn't a newsflash. This wasn't unexpected. This was, oh, my God, there's people. No. They, they had known this. They had known this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Isn't that right? And God even told them, he said, and I'm not going to run them off. Because if I do, the wild animals will take over. And the weeds will take over, the gardens and stuff. And when you get there, it'll be a mess. So I'm just going to leave the bad guys there to till the land for you. And to keep the wild animals down. And then when you get there, you run the bad guys off. They knew that none of this was a surprise. And Moses said, go over there and see if the land's any good. And see the people what they are. Right? See the cities how they are. See if they're walled or not. This isn't a recon. This is a doubt, fear, and unbelief. Right? And so Moses sends out 12 spies. One of them was named Shammah. You ever heard of him? Nope. You think that's a whale at SeaWorld or something. <laughs> Noki. Gideel. Gaddy. We don't sing songs about Gaddy. Nobody names their little boy Gaddy. Those ten guys you never heard of before. Because they're all... They're all losers. Not one of them do we name our children after. Not one of them do we sing songs after. Not one of them do we t tell great faith stories about. Palty. I can go read them. You can go read them yourself in Numbers 13. Tells you the name, every one of the losers, ten of them. And it says, and one of them was Joshua, the son of Nun. Well, yeah, we, we write songs about him, preach sermons on him, name our kids after him. And the other one's Caleb. Yeah, we write songs about him, preach about him, name our sons after him. We never heard of those other ten guys. 
because they took 40 days to search out the land to see whether it be good or not. 40 days. And it ticked God off. I mean, it bent him out of shape. I mean, it made him mad. I mean, he said, I'm going to kill you all. I'll kill every, every last one of you. And Moses talked him out of that. He said, well, all right, then here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll kill the ten today. The ten losers, those ten guys are dying today of the plague. So those ten guys dropped dead that day. They got the plague and died that day. And he said, the rest of them that said, my word's no good, the rest of them that, that went out and searched 40 days to my, for my breach of promise to see if I'm a liar or not, he said, They'll, every one of them 20 years old and up will die. Only the kids under 20 I'll bring in, right? They'll not have my promised land that I promised you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is yours that you don't get it. Even you, Moses, old buddy. I've always thought, you know, if I was Moses, I've often thought, I've done all this. I've put up with all these people. I've done all this for these many years. I fought Pharaoh. I led the people out. I put up with their unbelief, their nonsense. Now we've run around for 40 years in the wilderness, and now you kill me? Why didn't you kill me a long time ago? I did all that for this? Because God said to him, hey, buddy, come on up here. Took him up on a mountain, showed him the promised land, said, see the promised land? Yes, sir. You know, I promised you that for hundreds of years, yes, sir. In fact, 40 years ago, you were there. About to go in. Yes, sir. But you didn't do it. So I'm showing it to you today. See it? But you don't get it. You can see it, but you can't have it. You search my land for 40 days, so you get a year for a day, 40 years. I bet they wish they had just taken a day and a half. And 15 minutes ago at the river, they were his lovely, wonderful, heart-chosen people. After that 40 days, and they came back with that nonsense. Then he said, you're an evil congregation. You have an evil heart. And you brought back an evil report. Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just told what we saw. We just told the truth. Bob, I've had people tell me for all these years. Now, Brother Terry, I'm just not going to lie. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm just going to tell it like I see it. Oh, yeah? How's that working out for you? I'm not going to say, Brother Terry, that I'm, sick, that I'm, that I'm healed if I'm sick. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say I'm prosperous if I'm poor. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to tell the truth. Well, let me know how that works for you. Because that didn't work for them. That's what they did. They came back and said, we saw the Canaanites. Well, they did. We saw the Jebusites. We saw the Anak, the sons of the giant. We saw walled cities, great cities. That was all true. They saw all that stuff. It's all there. God had told them it was there. It's all, that's all true. All they did is told the truth. And God said, you're an evil congregation with an evil heart. 
and you brought back an evil report. And because of that, you all dead. Right? See, God is used to having things his way. People tell me, Brother Terry, God, these doctors have a God complex. I said, let me tell you somebody else who does. God has a God complex. I mean, God thinks he's God. It might do you well to remember that when you're dealing with him. He thinks he's God. And he's proved it now for a long, 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 long time. So the next time a Republican shows up or a Democrat shows up or some other idiot from Washington or from Hollywood shows up and tells you something contrary to what God said, it would do you well <laughs> to say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> me and God are tight. Isn't that right? And God said to Moses, said, okay, buddy, so there it is. And i uh, tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to kill you right now. Personally, I'm going to kill you. I I'm personally going to kill you. Because we're buddies. Hmm. And I'm going to personally bury you. And nobody's ever going to find your grave. What a legacy Moses could have had. The man Moses could have been. The man Saul could have been. The man Gehazi could have been. Wow. Elisha got double portion of what Elijah had and Gehazi could have had a double portion of what Elisha had but instead he got leprosy and he didn't just get leprosy for him he got it for his kids and his grandkids the man he could have been see I always told God when I was a teenager I go Lord I, I don't want to get to heaven and say the man I could have been the prayers I could have prayed the money I could have given the souls I could have gotten saved I don't want that to be my legacy. Can you imagine? To this day, Gehazi is saying, you know, I could have had a double portion of what Elisha had. Instead, I gave my babies, my grandbabies leprosy. My, 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 my. But see, all, the Bible's all about accommodating God. In the spirit of God. People have asked me, I've said this near the pulpit many times over the years. People have asked me for years, Brother Terry, talk to us about revival. You've been around a long time. You've seen lots of revival. Tell us about revival. And I always say the same thing. I say, I say revival is when the Holy Ghost interrupts the church. When the Holy Ghost interrupts the church, falls in on the church and says, all right, we're doing things like this today. Uh, the clock goes out the window. Everything else goes out the window. The schedule goes out the window. And we just let the Holy Ghost, we accommodate the Holy Ghost. And there's revival, miracles, supernatural. But today, you know, I go in and preach churches all the time. This is not one of them where the pastor will stand up and say, now, Brother, Terry, Brother Terry's here today and he's, he's raised the dead and he's cast out devils and blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. And that's what he's going to do today. Okay, Brother Terry, here's the pulpit. You have all the time you need. You've got 20 minutes. I've had a pastor tell me if you're on the way from the airport, Brother Terry, you've got 20 minutes to preach. I said, just take me back to the airport. I, I wouldn't get up and shave and put on a suit and tie and shower and brush my teeth to go to church for 20 minutes or an hour. That's just nuts. 
Just take me back to the airport. You're wasting my time. And, and you're lying to the people, telling them we're going to have a move of God. We're going to have signs and wonders in 20 minutes. You've got to be kidding me. Brother Hagin always says you can go to hell for lying, same as Ken for stealing. You need to quit lying to your people, Pastor. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Anyway, what I started to say a while ago that I wrote in my letter this month is that, is that the church used to accommodate God. And now it's strange to accommodate the people. Let's don't offend the people. Let's don't run the people off. Let, let, let's, don't, let's, don't, let's don't preach too long. Let's don't sing too long. Let's don't sing too loud. Let's let them do what they want to in the sanctuary. Let, let, let's accommodate the people. And how's that working for us? Churches are just going. And the world looks at the church and says, why in the world would I want to go there? I need some help. They obviously don't have any. I'm in a mess, and I know I'm in a mess. They think they're good, and I know they're in a mess. You know, when the sinner is smarter than church. But anyway, if you ever went to a real camp meeting, and we've been to several this last couple months, and if you ever went with any of my fathers in the faith that decreased to my life, you ever went to, to a meeting with Brother Hagen or Brother Osteen or Lester Summerall or Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne or any of those guys that I talk about all the time? If you ever went to a meeting with them, you, you heard them say this time and time and time and time and time again. They would say to the people, now listen, folks, we know everybody can't stay uh, as long as sometimes as God wants to. So if you've got a job or if you've got appointments or kids you need to pay. If you've got something you have to do, just stay as long as you can and slip out quietly when you have to go and, and, we'll, and, and we're just going to keep on. And if you can come back, that's great. Come back and slip in quietly. But don't, don't stand back and talk and visit and everything. If you need to go, we understand. Nobody's mad at you if you need to go. Just slip out quietly. And then they'd stay and have church. And so the accommodation was to God. It wasn't to the people. Now, Brother Terry, uh, our nursery worker gave me a request today and said to tell you not to go long because she's keeping the kids in the nursery. Well, what do I care what she thinks? What, who's my allegiance to, the nursery worker or to God? Is my, is my allegiance to help you with the word and to pray miracle prayers? Or is my allegiance built to make the children's workers happy? I mean, I understand their problem. I'm not down on them. I get it. They're, they're having to put up with a longer time frame than they're used to. And obviously, they're not prepared because they've run out of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or they, they've run out of cartoons and they're bored and they want to go home. And they, they, they're obviously not qualified to keep the kids that long. Maybe you ought to get somebody that really can do the job. I used to pay mine. I said, hey, I'm hiring you to keep the kids. I want to make sure you can do it. I want to see your background, see if you're a pervert or not. Right? And then I'll pay you to keep them. If it goes overtime, I'll pay you overtime. 
but you're not going to dictate to me when the service is going to end. Why are we accommodating you? Did you understand what I'm talking to you about? Why are we accommodating the people? Church is never, ever about accommodating the people. Never. And I feel for those folks, especially if they have no anointing and, and can't keep kids. I feel for them. I'm, I'm sorry they're pulling their hair out. As long as they don't pull the kids' hair out, you know. If they do that, I'm going to fire them and get somebody else. But do you understand what I'm talking to you about? I, my, my, our, the church's job isn't to accommodate the people. Now, nobody wants to have a long service just for long service sake. Nobody wants to come in and just sit and hear some guy flop his jaws if the Holy Ghost isn't talking. If the Holy Ghost isn't moving, man, let's pack it up and go to the house. But if, if God's there and the Holy Ghost is there, I want to stay as long as I can. Yes. Renee and I pretty much shut down every service we go to and always have all our lives. I mean, every year after year after year after year after year after year, I'd go to Brother Higgins' camp meetings. I mean, I just, go, I just stay till they turn the lights out, you know. You know, I knew Brother Hagin really well, and, and if Brother Hagin ever, 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 I'll give you a little secret, of course this won't help you because he's gone, but if Brother Hagin ever, 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 ever laid down in the floor on his stomach, I knew he was going to see Jesus. That's just how it worked with him. If he sat down in the floor and laid down his back, but if he laid down his stomach in the service, and so... I'd see him do that from time to time in camp meetings and churches and stuff. And when he would, I'd just, I'd just get up and walk down the front and just stand there and watch him. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd just get it right. If he's on the platform on his stomach, I'd just walk up here like this. Uh, if he's going to see something, I'm going to see him see it. <laughs> and other people would leave. And I mean, 13,000 people there at a camp meeting, and they'd leave and leave and leave and leave. And, and I'm, just, I'm just, and I'm thinking, I don't know what's the matter with all you folks, <laughs> but if something, ha if something happens, I'm going to be here. Isn't that right? But, but, you know, it's whatever, wh wh where's your accommodation? What's, what's, what's your priority? What's, what's, Brother Hagin used to always make this statement. In fact, you may want to write this down in your arm or something. But Brother Hagin used to always say this. He'd, he'd say, when the un if you want to know how to get the Holy Spirit to move and have signs and wonders in the supernatural to happen, he said, then you wait, Dennis, until the unbelieving believers leave. They're believers. They love God. They're there. They're, they're believers. They're Christians. But they don't believe. So when the unbelieving believers say, Hey, I got to go. Then we let them go. We say, Praise the Lord. We love you. If you need to slip out, slip, go ahead and slip out. We understand. We love you. Nobody's mad if you slip out. But when they leave, Brother Hagin said, and then the believing believers stay. He said, that's when the Holy Ghost always shows up. Isn't that great? Isn't it amazing that we, that we have changed that now to where we're now accommodating the people and saying, okay, I'm going to penalize all of you and God because she has to leave and go to work. 
Honey, since you have to leave and go to work early, then I'm going to penalize all these people and God because we're all going to get on your schedule. You're the most important one in the house. So we're all going to leave when you leave and do what you say. What? But that's what the church is doing now. Never did do it before. And we used to have real church. And God used to show up. And America used to be a better place. But the more we've accommodated the people and penalized God, said, God, you go sit in the penalty box because Sister Tutti Frutti has to go to work. Dr. Whoopendill's hungry. He has to go eat. So, you, so God, you don't move. Does that make sense to you? And if you've been around a while, you know that's true. You may, the others of you may just think I'm just... But I, I'm begging the church to go back to accommodating God. Yes. Not mad at the people. Love the people. And if they have to leave, we understand. Just slip out quietly. Get your kids. Do whatever. And if you can, come back. Well, hey, come on back. Slip in quietly. You know, we used to always make fun of the Baptist and Methodist Church of Christ Presbyterians. You would say, hey, well, it's almost 12 o'clock. They're, they're all rushing to the restaurant, having to wait in line. By the time we get there at 2 o'clock, we won't have to wait in line. And now we try to beat them there. Isn't that amazing? Now we try to beat them there. But we, we, we're going to have to go back to, uh, to accommodating God and not accommodating the people. We love the people. We're for the people. But we're here for God. We're not here for the people. Does that make sense to anybody? See, the real church leaders would make those statements. We don't hardly have real church leaders anymore. The real church leaders would say, if you need to leave, we understand that. And we love you and we're for you and we get it. But just slip out quietly. You remember a few years ago when the Supreme Court passed that stupid law about uh, legal, uh, gay marriage is legal? And, and the president at the time lit up the White House with, with the rainbow colors and all that. I remember Bill O'Reilly, of all people, of course he's a Catholic, and uh, he said on Fox News, he said, you know, this has just happened and not one church leader has said anything. He said there was a day in America where we had church leaders. He called them religious leaders. He said, we don't have them anymore. He said, where is a religious leader in America? He said, maybe Franklin Graham. And yet he's not, at that time, Franklin was more Samaritan person, less, less preacher. But he said, maybe Franklin Graham. But he said, we don't have, we don't have, what? Yeah, he said, there's pockets of leaders here and there, but not a national religious leader they'll stand up that America will listen to like they do with Billy Graham, like they did with other great religious leaders. He said, where are they? I thought, here's a sinner guy. He's a, he's a, he's a news reporter. He's, he's in sin reportedly. He's a Catholic. He loves God, sort of. And uh, even he can see. Even he can see the problem. Where are the religious leaders? Where are the church leaders? Because, see, as our, as our, as our fathers have died off, Bob, 
throughout history, see, I've always said there's a, or I've said for many years, and I've told you this many times before too, there's a greater generation gap in the church now than there's ever been in in history. Because over the years when the fathers would die off, there was the next level of fathers that rose up, and the church looked to them. And then as they died off, there was another level, and the church looked to them. But in the last 15, 20 years or so, what's happened is our fathers have died off. And I've, I've lost all mine. I've, I've got two left. I've got one that's 85 years old and one that's 100 years old. And um, I've lost all the others. I'm almost an orphan. And as they have died off, the church, instead of looking to the next level of fathers, they've looked down to the young lions. And the young lions are great. I love young lions. I've always looked for young lions, nurtured young lions. I've got a lot of young lions around the world that are my young lions. I love them. I nurture them. I correct them when they get dumb. Right? But uh, the church looks to the young lions because they're rich. They all got jets. They all got TV ministries. Their hair's funky. Their jeans are holy. You know, they... they they, 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 they attract the younger people, and so they look to them, and that'd be okay if they were fathers. But because they're not fathers, they look to them and ask them father questions, and because they're not fathers, they don't have father answers, so they give stupid answers and get in trouble and get the church in trouble because the church is floundering without a, without a father. One of the great, great, great young lions who I love dearly, have known him all his life, uh, went out recently and went, went marching down the street in a, in a Black Lives Matters parade. He wasn't even sure why he was there. And then, when they, and then when they all knelt down in the street, he just knelt down with them. He just bowed down with them. Well, see, that's not what a father would do. And he lost a lot of people out of his church. They said, well, you did what? <laughs> You're what pastor did? And, of course, he's scrambling trying to fix it because he did something stupid. Isn't that amazing? I remember when one great father died and his son took over. And uh, immediately the news media started bringing him in to do television interviews. God never preached before in his life. But his dad died and his dad said, you're it, you pastor. And so they brought, him to, they brought him to New York and put him on TV, and Barbara Walters interviewed him. And he's just sitting there just happy as a hog and turnip patch, you know, just. And that's fine. Good kid, good guy. I love him. But he's not a father. So Barbara Walters turns to him and asks him a father question. She says something like, can Muslims go to heaven? Or can homosexuals go to hell? She asked him some father question. And when she did, he just went. I mean, he's a deer caught in the headlights, man. And so he goes, uh, 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 well, who am I to say? That's above my pay grade. <laughs> she slapped him with the back of her hand on his shoulder. She just slapped him. Like and she said, your daddy didn't believe that. This is Barbara Walters. 
she turned her back on him and just never talked to him again the rest of the whole program. Just talked to the other guests on the show. So he scrambles around, runs to the nearest phone, and calls John Maxwell. He says, John, guess what I just did? John says, hey. He said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He said, go back home and stand in your pulpit and tell the people that you just, you, you, you had stage fright. You were, you were stupid. You, you, you didn't know what you were doing, and you just, you just gave a bad answer. They said, you got to fix this. But see, he's not, nothing wrong with the guy. Nothing wrong. He's a good guy. Win souls. I'm for him. He wins souls. But he's not a father. Maybe he will be one day. Maybe some of these other young lines will be one day. Not necessarily. You don't necessarily get wisdom just because you get older. <laughs> We've got a lot of friends that have proved that, haven't we? <laughs> Hopefully they'll be fathers one day. But you can't put a young line in a father position and let them lead stuff because they're, they're not fit to lead. There's an old, old, old poem that... Uh, um, who wrote it? Renee Edmund Burke. wasn't Edmund Burke. Um, Sir Francis Bacon. You, you can go Google it. I think it's. I think that. I think the poem is called uh, "Of Youth," while U T H of Youth and Age. The reason I'm saying that really slow because you say it fast, it sounds like I'm saying of youth, euthanasia. No, no, <laughs> that's not it. It's of youth and age, and he talks about the difference between young people and old people or young men and older men. And he says, he says young, young men are fitter. Oh, he used an old English word. He said fitterer. 200-year-old document. He said young men are fitterer for construction. You know, because they got the muscles and the stamina they can get on the sun build. And old men are, are fitterer for design of the, of the building. It's a great document. And then he, he says, and, and old men are better for this, and young men are better for this, and old men are better for this, and young men are better for this. Because we need to know what we're better for. Right? Yes. And, and if you're not a father, there's nothing wrong with not being a father. Just don't pretend to be one. And don't get in that position where you're having to ask father, answer. Y'all remember full gospel businessmen? I loved full gospel men. I knew Demas personally. I knew, I knew his wife Rose personally. I knew, I knew his son Richard personally. I mean, I, I, I was a member of three different full gospel, FGBM, FM, chapter, uh, FI chapters. I, I started chapters around the world. I mean, I love the organization. And then the sister organization that grew up out of that, a spinoff off of that was Women's Aglow. Great. But, you know, things are seasonal. And that had its season, and God blessed it. And then it left. And it's still around today. There's people hanging on to it. In fact, they asked me to come out to Anaheim just last week and be at their world convention. And I would love to have done it. I just was scheduled somewhere else. I mean, I'm for them. I love them for the nostalgia and for what they did. I appreciate what they did all over the world. And, uh, but, but, but one great mistake they made all the time, and I, I used to tell Demas it was a mistake, is that they would take some young kid out of Cuba or, or Russia or somewhere who was a communist and a murderer and a this and a that and a the other, and he got saved with the Holy Ghost, thank God. So they'd bring him in to give the testimony at FGBMFI, which is great and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's what he should do, give the testimony of what God did. Yeah. But then, because it happened to be in Fort Myers or Punta Gorda or Fort Charlotte or somewhere, 
Then those, those full house businessmen guys in that area would come to local pastors and they'd say, hey, we got this kid speaking at our meeting on Saturday night and how about letting him preach at your church on Sunday? And the pastor said, okay. Well, that'd been fine if the kid's going to get up and give the testimony again. But to put him in the pulpit as a minister when he's not a minister He's just a kid with a great testimony, thank God. But you now have put him in the pulpit. And why have you done that? To draw a crowd and so that he can make some money. So then you put him in the pulpit as a minister. And Sister Tutti Frutti over here is sitting here. And, she, and she's thinking, Lord, you know, I'm, I need some money and I need this. I'm raising these kids and I need this and I need this. I'll go up and ask the, ask the pastor, ask the minister today to, what I should do. So she comes up and talks to this pseudo minister that's not a minister and he steps out of that office of just telling a great testimony which he should have done into being a minister and he doesn't even know what the Bible says and so then he gives her counsel and then she goes off and does what this guy tells her thinking he's a minister it was foolishness I, and I t tell Demas that to his face I said you guys are quitting you need to quit putting these, these novices in the pulpit as a minister make sure everybody knows they have a testimony and they're going to tell their testimony and the pastor ought to have enough brains to get up and tell the people that brother so and so is going to tell them he's got this marvelous testimony he's not a minister he's not going to preach you know, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. He's going to give a testimony of what God did. And we're all going to rejoice with him. If you don't watch out, he becomes a minister, a young lion that people look to as a father, and he is not a father and probably won't ever be. Does that make sense to you? And so all these great fathers that I've talked about, I'm not just name dropping. They were so real to me. They creased my life. And, and when I, I needed stuff and needed to talk to somebody, they're the ones I called. Or they would pick up the phone and call me and say, Terry, the Lord's been talking to me about this. <gasps> That's worth a gazillion dollars. Amen? Amen? You remember when 9-11 happened? You know, Dennis McCormick and I were in in Ukraine when 9-11 took place. And I was going to go from, from, from Ukraine to Israel to preach and from Israel to Romania to preach. And so the day I arrived in, Israel, in Ukraine was the morning of the 11th. And as I'm going through customs immigration in Kiev, Ukraine, I look up at the TV and I see the second jet hit the second tower. And I said, dear God, we're under attack. Well, when I got to the hotel, I got my laptop out, and I wrote, a, I wrote to every pastor I knew, and I knew a bunch of pastors. And I said, Pastor, we're under attack, and this Sunday, this Sunday, your church will be full. Your church will be absolutely full because of fear. It's amazing what fear will do for you. So your church will be packed out this Sunday because people are going to be scared out of their gourds. 
And I said, you as a man of God, as a pastor, need to stand up and tell the people what the Word of God says and how to handle this and to rebuke fear and to not let them live in fear and that fear and faith cannot live in the same house and teach them a little bit on spiritual authority and have them all stand up in unison and declare after you, write something out and put it on the board, write something out and say, repeat after me, I bind and rebuke and forbid and arrest the spirit of terrorism because terrorism is a spirit, it's a demon spirit, and it will not, it will not survive and attack and flourish in this country in Jesus' name. Tell them to stomp their foot and get mad at the devil. Well, so many of them did that. And we didn't have another act of terrorism in this country for years and years and years and years and years. And I stayed on people all the time. I mean, I stayed on them and stayed on them and stayed on them. Not, if y'all, any of y'all are on my mailing list, I wrote you probably four letters a year and said, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't go to sleep. Don't forget. Take authority over the spirit of the demon of terrorism. And I was a part of a ministerial organization, and I had a lot of influence there, and I wrote those letters out, and I was the mission director. And, and, and so I'd write to all those pastors all the time, all those leaders all the time. And, uh, and now I'm not with them anymore. They had another idea and didn't like what I was doing. So, so uh, now I don't know who's doing that for that organization. I don't think anybody is. I love them. I'm still for them, you know, but I don't, I, I don't know that anybody's doing what, what I was doing. You know, I was also the missions director, and I don't think anybody's doing that anymore. And, and so I was able to speak, and I still do this. I mean, I still speak into all these pastors. I still know all the pastors. So I still speak into them. But, uh, it, but, but I can't, when, I, when, I got th- when that meeting was going on, uh, several ministers there, American ministers, were supposed to go to Israel with me when we left Ukraine. And they got scared and wouldn't go. And one of the main guys, his wife was here in the States. She kept begging him, don't go, don't go, don't go to Israel. They'll kill you, don't go to Israel. So he didn't go. And I said, well, I'm going. And they said, well, the planes aren't flying. There's no planes flying anywhere in the world. I said, well, my plane will fly. And they kept saying, Brother Terry, you, you can't leave. You can't leave. It's what it was Thursday when everybody was leaving. You can't leave. The, all the, the airport's closed. Israel's closed. Ukraine's closed. Every place is closed. I said, it'll open when I'm ready to go. I had one pastor, one, one, with the guts to say, I'll go with you. And so the, uh, at the conference, and Dennis knows, knows this gentleman, at the conference, there's a Ukrainian airline pilot that's a friend of mine, friend of his, friend of ours, word of faith. And he came out to me and he said, Brother Terry, you're going to, you're supposed to be going to Tel Aviv? And I said, I said, yeah. And he said, well, we're not flying. The planes aren't flying. I said, you, you'll be ready when I'm ready. He said, no, they're, they're not flying. Nobody's flying anywhere. And I said, that's okay. We're going. And so the day came to go. And the American preacher was supposed to go with me. He didn't go except the one pastor. The other guys went to Russia to be with Rick Renner. They thought that was safer. And... Uh, and so I got out the airport. The airport opened up. I got on my airplane. I'm sitting there in my seat. My pastor friend's sitting in the seat with me. And the cockpit door opens, and out walks Alexi, my friend, and says, Oh, Brother Terry, you told me we'd fly today. <laughs> and we flew, to, we flew to Israel. And they opened Ben Gurion. 
And we landed, and they closed it. And we were there for however many days we were there preaching and had to go to U Romania. And they kept telling me, sorry, you know, Dr. Miles, the airport's closed. We're, we're canceling all five. I said, it'll be open when I'm ready. And sure enough, on the day we were ready to go, Ben-Gurion opens up. We get on the airplane. We fly. And, and as we took off, as we took off, the pilot tells us that they just closed Ben-Gurion behind us. Nobody else is flying out. Well, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't surprise me. And we landed in Romania. We preached through Romania and did all this stuff in Romania. I had two friends of mine, really good friends from, don't tell anybody, they're from Fort Lauderdale. And really, really good friends. And both of them were supposed to go with me and meet me in Romania. One's a minister, one's a businessman on my board. And uh, so they're supposed to go with me, meet me in, in, in Romania. And I'm driving my rental car through Israel, you know, and, and, and I'm preaching everywhere and doing all this stuff. My cell phone rings. I pick it up, and it's one of these guys in Fort Lauderdale. And I said, I said, hello. He said, Brother Terry. I thought, what's the matter with him? Is he sick or scared? Brother Terry. I said, yeah, buddy, what is it? He said, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's bad over here. And I just laughed. I said, I said, bad. I said, you're in Fort Lauderdale, man. There's nothing bad. And then as I was saying that, it hit me. He's scared. He's going to cancel the trip. So I better be nice and not make fun of him. So I told myself, he's scared. He's scared. I better not make fun of him. And he said, oh, it's really bad, though, Brother Terry. It's really bad. I said, well, I'm really sorry. I said, uh, so... Uh, I want to see you in Romania in a couple of days. He said, oh, no, I can't come. I, can't. I said, I understand that. I, I, I got that. I said, I'm going to go. And I said, we'll miss you. But, but he's scared out of his gourd, both of them. I got back home to America, and we had our uh, convention, a ministerial convention in uh, Fort Worth. Faith preachers didn't show up. All these faith preachers didn't show up. I was so mad. Yeah, you remember that? And, and the ones that were there come to me and tell me, Brother Terry, I, I couldn't do it in my meetings. Every, every flight was canceled. I said, really? I said, I never had a flight canceled. Not one. Not one. Not one. Never had a flight canceled. Never missed a flight. But, you know, it's just a difference in, well, never mind what it's a difference in. But we need to understand that these fathers think different. These fathers act different. These fathers talk different. These fathers live different. And other people say they believe it, but it's coming out of here instead of out of here. Almost every church I go to these days, I'll see an usher or a greeter at the front door. I say, hey, how you doing? God bless that. And they say, I'm blessed and highly favored. I say, you're what? Blessed and highly favored. What? Blessed and highly favored. It sounds like a parrot. Rock. Blessed and highly favored. Rock. Polly want a cracker. Rock. I said, you're blessed and you're highly favored. Yep, yep, but not your favorite. And I can tell by the way they say it, it's not coming out of here. It's coming out of here. Now, maybe when they started saying it a year, two years, three years, five years ago, when they started it, it came out of here. I'm blessed and highly favored of Almighty God. But if you don't watch out, all those things that are in your spirit from heaven and from God, if you don't watch out, they will take a little elevator trip and end up here. And pretty soon you're saying 
the same thing you have been saying, but you're no longer saying it from your spirit in faith, in authority, in dominion. You're now repeating. The Bible says, beware of vain and repetitious babblings. I've told people for years, I said, you know, you stand at the table and say, you know, good, you know, good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. Rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub. I say, you know, you might as well just put it on a card and put it, in, and, and put it on the wall, and every time you sit down to eat, just go. There's no sense in praying over your meal. You don't believe it. Just because it's become with you a vain and repetitious babbling. It's no longer coming from here. It's coming from here. It may be the exact same words, but when you said it from here, it had faith mixed with it. The tongue is the mixer of faith, Hebrews tells us, right? God said those people back over there that wouldn't cross the River Jordan said they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. He said, let us therefore believe. He said they had the same word, Hebrews chapter 4, said they had the same word preached to them that we have preached to us, only with them, he said, it did not profit them. Why? He said because it was not mixed with faith. What's the mixture of faith? The tongue. So now those, 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 those two million people that didn't go in the promised land, God now kills Moses. Buries him, has his funeral. Joshua realizes Moses is dead, so he cries for a month. For a month he cries. And then God said to him, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now rise, go over this Jordan. And so Joshua got the people together and went right back to the same spot on the river Jordan. They were at 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And then God says, I got an idea. Cross over this Jordan. Same thing he told Moses 40 years ago. So that's what I'm talking about, about God's a good checker player. If it's your turn, he's not going to move. He hadn't moved for them in 40 years. Because they hadn't done what he told them to do 40 years ago. And so they get to the Jordan River and say, now what should we do, Lord? Well, duh. How about crossing the river, which you didn't do 40 years ago? See, see there, Ned, that scripture I just quoted in Hebrews 4? God's talking about those people. And he's still mad at them. He's still mad in Hebrews 3 and 4 at these clowns over here in Numbers 13. And then he talks about him in Psalm 78 and gets really mad again. And he says, they were armed and had their bows and their arrows and their shields and their spears and ready for war. And they turned back. Cowards. And he says the reason is is because their parents did not tell them the great facts of what God had done for Israel. So... Numbers 13, they sinned. Psalm 68, he's still talking about 78 and mad. Hebrews 3 and 4, New Testament grace, he's still mad. 
and says, don't provoke me, says to the Hebrew, don't provoke me like your fathers did back over there in the day of provocation in the wilderness. And their carcasses died in the wilderness. Isn't that right? And there in Psalm 78, he says, and they, they limited the Holy One of Israel. He said they turned back and tempted God. One of my spiritual fathers, T.L. Osborne, said to me decades ago, he said, Terry, that's the biggest sin in the Bible. They limited God. They limited God and tempted. They tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. My, 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 my. Well, it's time for me to quit, and I hadn't started, so I guess I'll quit. I hadn't prayed. I hadn't done my sermon. I hadn't invited Renee up to greet the people, and it's 1230 almost. So I guess we'll start over again tonight. But I want you all to really start thinking about what I'm talking about, that, that the church is going to have to come back and accommodate God. If we'll come back and start accommodating God, not mad at the people if they have to leave. We love them. We're for them. God bless you. We love you. We're just not going to be penalized, and we're not going to penalize God because you have a commitment. If you have a commitment, we understand. Go, go do it. God bless you. But don't penalize the rest. Don't, don't say, oh, Sister Tutifree's got to leave, so let's all go. Well, no, 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 no. She can just leave, and we love her. But we don't have to go. Amen? We're just going to keep on doing whatever, whatever, you know. Amen? Whatever God's doing. Anyway, if you get my letter, you can read all that. You can understand it. Because that's what the real church leaders would say. We don't have very many real church leaders anymore. Even pastors of churches, I just look at these pastors and I say, you have got to be kidding me. That's what you're calling church? You turn the lights out and you're accommodating the people because the people say we want the lights out? And I've said to them, Pastor, why do the people tell you they want the lights out? And they all say, saying, well, they say it's more intimate and they can commune with God that way. I go, hogwash. There's nowhere in the Bible that says turn out the lights and talk to God. Jesus said, you're the light, you're the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. In God, there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. With God, it's always light, it's always bright. In heaven, it'll never be dark, never, 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 never be dark. You tell me it's, it, 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 it's because you turn the lights out and you can be intimate with God? You've got to be kidding me. What a lie. The devil sold the church and the, the church people sucked it up and the pastor sucked it up. And the church has suffered for it. I just say we ought to go back to having church. Amen. I got some things to say to you tonight and tomorrow night. Are y'all Monday night Christians? God sure likes Monday night Christians. And uh, we can go back and do some real, real, real serious camp meetings. You know, George Pearson always tells me when I come to preach at Brother Copeland's church at MIC. He always says, Terry, there is no clock in the sanctuary. There's no clock. We've taken it out. He said, you just preach till the Holy Ghost gets through. I preached for a pastor in New Zealand decades ago, and he said, Brother Terry, he said, in, 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 uh, in understanding you were coming to our church, and I invited you to our church, and you, you agreed. He said, if you look back there at the back wall where the, where the clock usually is, he said, you'll see we put a calendar over it. <laughs> he said, so you preach by the calendar, don't preach by the clock. And again, we don't want to preach long just, for, just, for, just because. 
But I tell you, if the Holy Ghost has something to say, we don't want to. We don't want to be on such a on such a tight leash that we we have to say, "Well, we got to accommodate the people." No, no, we don't have to accommodate. We love the people. We're for the people. Somebody got an idea a long time ago that it's the people that run the church, and that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. That's what I said about Brother Osteen. He said, no businessman has any business sticking his nose in the church's business, and no, no preacher has any business going into business. A lot of people don't agree with that, and that's fine. You can have your own opinion. I just, I just think Brother Osteen was a great success and one of my fathers, and so I, I, I quote him a lot. Amen. When I was a kid we, in my Pentecostal church, we had... Uh, we had lots of revivals, and most of them would go at least, well, all of them would go at least two weeks, but some of them would go several more weeks, and three weeks, and six weeks, and eight weeks, and ten weeks, and I remember several ten-week revivals, and some even 26-week uh, revivals, and that's six months. And, uh, and, and we didn't take off Saturday. I mean, they were every night. Never was a break, never a break. I mean, seven days a week, seven days a week, next week, seven days, next week, seven, never, never, not one, never. never. And, uh, and that last service would go to about midnight every night. And uh, my mom would bring a, a quilt or a blanket and throw it under the pew. We call that a pallet. We call that a Pentecostal pallet. And, uh, and so the kids would sleep on those Pentecostal pallets under the pew. And I've said, I've said many times that I, I slept on a Pentecostal pallet under a Pentecostal pew with Pentecostal ladies dancing on my Pentecostal fingers if I didn't keep them out of the way. Uh, and... Uh, until, until midnight, night after night, week after week, week after week, week after week. And then I've had people say, but we, but we, but we have jobs. Well, we, we had jobs. But we have children that have to go to school. We, we had children. I, I had to go to school. You know, I went to school every, I went to school every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, <laughs> Monday through Friday. Even going to church till midnight every one of those nights and Saturday night and Sunday night. And back at school on Monday. We have jobs. We have jobs. We have children. We have children. <laughs> it's just the mindset today is that let's accommodate the people. We, we ne the church never had that mindset ever throughout history. It was always let's accommodate God. Brother Hayes said, stay till the unbelievers leave. When the unbelievers go home, then God will show up. Hey, cool. Does that make any sense to anybody besides me? Well, I believe that's where we're coming to. I believe that's where the church is coming to. I, I've said this in your pulpit time and time again. I said, I believe the day's coming when the, when the sheep come to the shepherd. Not the other way around. I believe the people are going to come to the preacher and say, Pastor, we need more church because what we're doing is not working. I don't know if y'all have noticed or not, but what the church is doing isn't working. What America's doing isn't working. Well, it used to work. But the more we've accommodated the people, the more the churches tried to act like the world, then the further down the drain the church has gone and the further down the drain America's gone. I say, let's go back and do what works. <laughs> I'd rather just make God happy. Amen. But I really believe, I believe the church is going to come to the pastor and say, Pastor, we need, we need more church. We need church and church and more church, and we need pastors that are more afraid of God than they are the people. Well, stand up with me. Again, I didn't introduce Renee. I didn't pray. I didn't preach my sermon. I had a great sermon. Um, but my old enemy, the clock. I've only had two enemies all my life, the clock and the calendar. And they're always marching. They never quit, never stop. And we used to not care. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for being in church. Thank you for bringing us back to real church. Real church, real church. Father, where you're exalted in the sanctuary, where we accommodate you. We're not accommodating the people. We're accommodating you. We want to hear from you. We, we, we take time for you. Our time is your time. And so, Father, I believe you to fall, fall right there's the anointing of God. I believe you to fall on the church again. We used to sing that old, old song, Do It Again, Lord. Lord, do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Because this word of faith message which we preach, Paul said, is not just about a formula. It's not we just say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm prosperous. I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. All that stuff coming out of the head doesn't work. Those are all great phrases, all great words. But Father, I pray we get them back down in our spirit. That when we speak, we speak out of our spirit. And we say, bless God, I'm highly favored of Almighty God. I'm blessed and can't be stressed. I'm blessed and can't be cursed. I'm blessed. I'm healed. I'm prosperous. My family's blessed. My family's prosperous. My kids are blessed. And we say that out of our spirit. And we speak words of life. Words into the atmosphere. But we're not just parrots just rattling stuff out of the top of our head, just, just saying stuff out of the road, just vain and repetitious babblings. Father, I've seen it time and time and time and time again where two church people can say the same thing over weeks and months and it worked for one of them and not work for the other and they're both saying the same thing. It's just one speaking out of their spirit and one speaking out of their head. Help us to get it down in our spirit and talk out of our spirit. They were spirit people. Father, when that hitchhiker had the gun in my belly and then shot at me five times at point blank range, I, I said to you then, I said, Father, I'm a spirit man. I'm handling this in the spirit. I'm not handling this in the flesh. I'm not a flesh man. I'm not a brain man. I'm a spirit man. I operate out of my spirit. And because I operate out of my spirit, this stuff works. Your word works. And if he pulls the trigger, you must, M-U-S-T, must do something with the bullets. For according to your word, they cannot, 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 cannot hurt me. For Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he gave me authority or power over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. So if he pulls the trigger, you must. Do something with the bullets for your covenant. Say, not for my sake. This isn't about me. It's your covenant that's at stake here. You're the faithful God that keepeth covenant. So your covenant's what's on the line here. Either your covenant works or it doesn't. This isn't about me. And so, Father, then when he did pull the trigger at point blank range, you did do something with the bullets. And they didn't touch me. And I thank you for it still. 48 years later, I'm still thanking you for it. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But Father, I learned some things over the years about that, that we've got to minister out of our spirit, talk out of our spirit, operate out of our spirit. We can't be head people. We can't just talk out of our head. We cannot have mental assent. We cannot have just, just vain and repetitious babbling just because they came out of the Word of God, out of the Bible. They're still powerless if we're not saying them in the spirit, out of our spirit. And so we thank you for it. And give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. Father, the church is to be about the master's business. You want a family. You want souls. When we get to heaven, you're going to say to us, where are the sheaves to lay at the master's feet? We're going to have to come with us bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the harvest. We can't just say, well, I brought my tapes, I brought my CDs, I brought my concordance, I brought, I brought my checkbook. I brought No, 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 none of that gets to go to heaven. The only thing you'll accept is the sheaves to lay at the master's feet. And we don't want you to say to us, why did you come empty-handed? Because, Father, we're not here for us, we're here for you. Our job is to be about the master's business. We're here to deliver to you the one thing you cannot have, the one thing you're using your faith for, and that's souls. If we spend all our life on earth and gather up all the prosperity and all the blessings and all the healing and all the good things for us, and yet we don't take anybody with us, we don't take any sheaves to lay at the master's feet, we've miserably failed as a Christian. And so, Father, I believe you to help us get that rectified quickly. Quickly. And I thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, I don't know what to tell you to do with all that. Just, uh, I'll turn it over to you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to start again tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Terry. Praise the Lord. You all can be seated. Glory to God. I don't know about you, that was good. That was really good. You know, um, <clears throat> you can get more out of Brother Terry's experiences and background and stories than you can get out of a lot of people's preaching. Really. You know, because it's the voice of experience. He's that father. You know, and uh, that voice of experience and, and actual realities of living, living this life with the Lord and just that fact of, well, the, the airport will be open when I get there. You know, you've, you've heard the stories about being, I think it was in Cuba where there was no rain. And he stood up and said, it's going to rain or I'm not a man of God. Remember, there was that bad drought and uh, God honors his word. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. You know, and uh, the things that he shares is very rich. It's very, it's very full. And if you really listen in your heart to what he was saying today, he's preparing you for the days ahead. The Spirit of God is preparing you to get yourself ready for the days that are going to be coming up. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And, you know, we're also honored to have Reverend uh, Dennis and Cheryl uh, McCormick with us today. 
Glory to God. They, they come up a lot for Terry's and Dennis's meetings and stuff, and they've got their lovely granddaughter with them this trip. So we're glad you all are here. Amen. Re remember, 6 o'clock tonight and um, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And, um, you know, that may be that's not part of your scheduled time, but will you give God the time? If you'll give God the time, God will give to you. You know, sometimes you've got to adjust your schedule and get on God's schedule. If you get on God's schedule, you can trust God with your schedule. Isn't that right? Amen. So, um, you know, think about what God wants to do, what he's preparing you for. You know, we always say things like, oh, the Holy Spirit will show me things to come. Or show up and he'll show you. You know, it's, it's not on your time, it's on his time. So make that adjustment and trust God with the, with the things you have to take care of. Because if you're concerned with his stuff, he'll be concerned with your stuff. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. And, you know, uh, Pastor Nid was telling you about paying off the mortgage. And, um, you know, we're so, so excited about being able to pay that off. Because what that helps us with now is that we're able now to give into more into other ministries just like brother terry's ministry okay because uh, as a church even though we're here in punta Gorda, we do have a world vision and we believe in reaching the world in fact if you look out at the board out there in the foyer it'll show you missions that we uh, that we give into on a regular basis and we believe in spreading the word around the world because people need to be saved we can't always go but we can always give into the ministries that do go because there's a world out there that Jesus died for. Isn't that right? Amen. So, you know, this is this is one of the great ministries that we do uh, so into that we give on a regular basis and that we have come in to the church regularly because we want what's in them to get into you. Amen. Amen. This is not a young lion that don't know how to answer questions. This is a father. He's been around for a long time and is really, really good soil to sow into. Can you say amen? Amen. So we're going to sow today. We're going to plant our seed. And as you plant your seed today, do it by faith with an expectation that God has what you need and it's going to be deposited inside of you within these meetings. Amen. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have sent this man and woman of God to us in these days to deposit inside of us because there are things coming up and you want to show it to us. You want to reveal it to us. You want to make it alive inside of us and you want to prepare us for it so that we can be ready, that we can be in position to move when you say to move. Just like you said, cross over the Jordan. You brought them in, they were in position, and it was time to move. And we want to come into the position so that when it's time to move, that we can readily step up, obey you, and do the things you'd have us to do. For these are the days, and it's not time to, to sit down, to lay down, and to put things off. But it's time to move forward, press on, and go on into the things that you've called us to do. So, Father, I thank you that as we sow our seed today, Father, into Brother Terry's ministry, Father, I thank you that it is 
seed that you have provided for us and seed that will produce harvest, not only back into our lives, but harvest in his ministry going forth into the world. Father, that it continues to allow him to move and obey you in the things you have him to do. And Father, I thank you for the seed that we sow that might leave our hand but never leaves our life. And as it goes into his ministry, therefore, that which this seed is producing in and through his ministry goes to our account also. Father, I thank you for that heavenly account that is being built up on our behalf. We bless you. We honor you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. If you need an envelope for cash or credit card giving, the ushers will serve you if there's not one in the seat back in front of you. If you joined us on live stream, thanks so much for being with us today. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like to sow seed into Brother Terry's ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. And in the description box, just type in Terry Mize, and we will be sure that everything you sow goes into that ministry. Amen. Time is over.